We're reading tonight from the epistle to the Galatians. Galatians and the chapter 6. Reading from the latter part of the chapter. It was one of the favorite epistles for Martin Luther in his uh, lectures and studies. He concentrated particularly on the epistle to the Romans, uh, one of the great uh, portions of scripture dealing with justification by faith and likewise Galatians. I would suppose he was specially attached to Galatians because he had what was to him a very familiar name uh, to this letter of Paul to the Galatians. Martin Luther called this epistle Katie, Katie von Bora. That was the name of the girl he married. And to him, it was just like Galatians was a sweetheart. And he had uh, special uh, thoughts for and special feelings for this epistle. So you can guess how uh, he established a, personally, a personal relationship with uh, this epistle to the Galatians. He was always a unique man anyway, even in his expressions and ideas. And he gives us a new light, as it were, on the epistle to the Galatians that he could feel so attached, so identified with this epistle. It was his very own. And he would say, this is my Katie von Bora. To me, in that sense, he hugged it to his heart. Let us pray for such attachment to Scripture. and Let us also seek to have the meaning of God's Word given to us by the Spirit of God, even as we read it and as the Word is preached as well. Let's begin the reading tonight at verse 7. Familiar words to many, yet nevertheless they need to be written into our hearts. Verse 7 of the chapter. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. And he that soweth to the Spirit shall off the Spirit, we're talking about the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Blessed Trinity, he that soweth to the Spirit shall off the Spirit reap life everlasting. And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season, we shall reap if we faint not. As we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. You see how large a letter I have written unto you with mine own hand. As many as desire to make a fair show in the flesh, they constrain you to be circumcised, only lest they should suffer persecution for the cross of Christ. 
For neither they themselves who are circumcised keep the law, but desire to have you circumcised that they may glory in your flesh. But God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me, and I unto the world. For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision availeth anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creature. And as many as walk according to this rule, peace be on them, and mercy, and upon the Israel of God. From henceforth, let no man trouble me, for I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. Brethren, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. Amen. Galatians chapter 6. And tonight we're in verse number 14. The 14th verse of the 6th chapter of Paul's letter to the Galatians. One of the great gospel texts, I believe, of the New Testament. And it centers on the cross. And I believe tonight we need to get excited again about the cross. And enthusiastic about the cross. And we need to tell others about the wonderful message of the Savior that died on that cross. Paul says, but God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world. I wonder tonight how many in this meeting and others that are joining us online, I wonder if we're honest, how many of us could really say these words and mean them? How many of us tonight can say, but God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world. Let's pray and ask God to write this truth upon our hearts. Pray that God might melt us and make us and mold us and fill us with His Spirit. Let's pray together. Father, we thank Thee tonight for this wonderful letter of Paul to the church at Galatia. We thank Thee for so many of the great gospel texts and gospel gems that we have considered already. But Lord, truly, as we think about these words that we have just read, Lord, they must be some of the most wonderful words ever penned. We pray tonight, O God, that You will thrill our hearts. Help us, O God, to be able to utter them from the depths of our being, even in a similar manner to which the Apostle Paul could. But God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, we thank Thee for that cross. We pray tonight, Lord, that as we sit around Thy feet, that Thou wilt melt our hearts. Melt my heart, O Savior. Bend me, I break me down until I only conquer and Lord and sovereign crown. Make me to understand it 
and help me to take it in, what it meant for Christ the Holy One to bear away my sin. Lord, speak into every heart, and do remember, Lord, some that are perhaps not converted, draw them to the cross. Some that have grown cold, warm their hearts afresh, and may everything dovetail together for thy glory. We pray in the Savior's name. Amen. I wonder tonight what it is that you glory in. Wonder tonight what it is that really captivates your heart and really grabs your attention. And if you've got time and affection and money, I wonder what it is tonight that you enjoy spending your, your affection and spending your time and spending your money on. I wonder tonight what it is that really you glory in. What do you devote the majority of your time and attention to? The Apostle Paul could say, God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross. People tonight in our world glory uh, in all sorts of different things. Some glory in their families. Some glory perhaps in their occupation or in their business that they have set up. Some glory in their education. Some perhaps glory in the house that they have built. Some glory maybe in the car that they drive. Some glory in their religion. Some might glory in a party or in an organization. Some might glory in their morality. Others glory in their hobby or in their sport. Some might glory in a football team. Some might glory in their achievements. But I wonder tonight, whenever it comes down to a personal level, what it is that you as an individual really glory in. The Apostle Paul could have gloried in many many things, and prior to his conversion did. He said, writing to the church at Philippi in Philippians 3, verses 4 through to verse number 6, he says, Though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinketh that he hath whereof he might trust in the flesh, I the more. And he begins to speak about the things that he was once so proud of, things that he gloried in. He says, I was circumcised in the eighth day of the stock of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews. Is touching the law, a Pharisee concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is of the law, blameless. But what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. Saul or Paul could have glorified and gloried in many, many things. Glory in his birth, his family, his tribe, his religion, his morality, his enthusiasm, his zeal, his fame, his attainments, his intellect. But all those things fell by the wayside in one divine moment. Whenever in a dusty road to Damascus, Saul of Tarsus met the Savior. And in that defining, critical moment in his life, everything changed instantaneously. And many other things began to change. And Paul's life was revolutionized. And Paul's mindset and Paul's goals and Paul's heart and the things that Paul gloried in changed forever. And therefore he could say that now I glory in the cross 
of the Lord Jesus Christ. The cross changed everything. It changed his devotion. It changed his direction. It changed his emotions. It changed his affection. It changed his dreams. It changed his goals. And Paul became a man who began to glory in the cross. He was excited about the cross. The cross became his goal. The cross became his ministry. The cross became his very life. Many, many years ago in the southeast coast of China, in a small harbor outside of Macau, Portuguese settlers erected a small stone building that they ordained to be a place of worship. And right at the apex of one of the gable walls, they erected a a small iron cross to mark it out as a Christian church. After many, many years and many wars and many battles, whenever that part of China was by and large reduced to rubble, one gable wall upon which that cross was erected stood firm. John Bowering was an English explorer, archaeologist, a Christian, and also a hymn writer. And whenever he came along with some of his team to excavate that part of China, he was arrested whenever he saw that gable wall standing firm on the small iron cross on the horizon amongst all of the rubble. And he was compelled to write that tremendous hymn, In the Cross of Christ Thy Glory, towering o'er the wrecks of time, all the light of sacred story gather round its head sublime. Friends, tonight the ages come and go. Fashions change, kingdoms rise and fall. Parties wax and wane, kings live and die. But the cross and the message of the cross remains the same throughout history. The preaching of the cross, Paul said, is still the power of God unto salvation. Isaac Watts said, When I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of glory died, my richest gain I count but loss and poor contempt on all my pride. Forbid it, Lord, that I should boast, save in the death of Christ my God. All the vain things that charm me most, I sacrifice them to his blood. I want to speak tonight in this text for a little while about Paul's glorying in the cross. I want you to bear in mind the question that I began with, what do you glory in? Do you glory in the cross? I believe there are three reasons that we can discern from this verse of God's precious word why the Apostle Paul gloried and rejoiced and took tremendous pride in the message of the cross. First of all, I believe that Paul gloried in the plan of the cross. Paul gloried in the plan of the cross. You know, tonight the history of this world of ours is bound up in the great plan of the cross. For several thousand years before the Lord went to the cross, the world looked forward to that day, the religious world looked forward to that day whenever a Savior would come and die for the sins of His people. And ever since that momentous day, the Christian church has looked back with fondness and thanksgiving and adoration and humility and also with great glory to the day whenever they crucified the Savior. The plan of the cross is central to the history of our planet. 
Alexander McLaren said once that the cross is the center of the world's history. The incarnation of Christ and the crucifixion of our Lord are the pivot around which all the events of the ages revolve. The cross is the center and the circumference of God's Word, central to history, central to time, central to the Bible, central to the gospel, central in eternity, is the reality of the death of Jesus Christ upon that cruel cross. As we think for a few moments about the plan of the cross that Paul gloried in, we need to remind ourselves that the plan of the cross was an eternal plan. God's great scheme of redemption that was centered upon Calvary's tree was an eternal plan. It was not a plan B. The cross was not an afterthought in the mind of God. The cross was not some type of contingency plan if some other scheme or plan of God had not worked out. The cross wasn't something that God came up with whenever all else had failed. The plan of the cross was God's eternal plan from before the foundation of the world. The Son of God coming into this world and becoming a man and going to a cross was central in the counsel of God from eternity past. The Bible says in Revelation chapter 13 and verse number 8 that Jesus Christ our Lord is the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. And from before the very beginning of time, God had it in his mind that he would save a people and bring them to himself and redeem them and reconcile them and cleanse them and forgive them and declare them righteous and bring them into his family and fold. And it all involved the cross. Just a couple of pages over there in the Word of God in the book of Ephesians chapter 1. And verse number 3, the Apostle Paul, you can almost sense the excitement in his voice, the wonder, the love as he writes these words. Ephesians 1, verse number 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ, according as he hath chosen us in him from before the foundation of the world that we should be holy without blame before him in love, having predestinated us on the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. And there in that seventh verse, Paul again brings us to the cross whenever he speaks about the shedding of the Savior's precious blood. And he makes it very, very plain and very, very clear that the plan of the cross was an eternal plan. The Son of God was crucified on a tree that he created. And it was in the plan of God from eternity past. The plan of the cross was an eternal plan. We could also say that the plan of the cross was an excellent plan. Only the wisdom of God Almighty could have drawn up the plan of the cross. 
We were singing a little bit earlier in that lovely old hymn, Oh, the love that drew salvation's plan. Oh, the grace that brought it down to man. Oh, the mighty gulf that God did span at Calvary. But we could be justified in singing, Oh, the wisdom that drew salvation's plan. There's not a human intellect, regardless of how great or spiritual it might be, that could have ever have constructed the plan of the cross. Only the wisdom of God could have drawn up such an excellent plan for the salvation of a great multitude that no man could number. How can a God who is so holy, how can a God so just and so righteous possibly justify and acquit and declare righteous, rebellious men and women who can do nothing to atone for or to cleanse their own sin? How can a holy God be merciful and gracious and yet justify the ungodly and at the same time punish sin? There had to be one who was qualified and willing and able to be our substitute. John Blanchard, the great evangelist, once said, the cross of Christ will always be an offense to the natural man. And that's true tonight. We thought a few weeks ago about those words in chapter 5 and verse 11 of Paul's great letter to the Galatians whenever he spoke about the offense of the cross. The natural man is offended by the message of the cross and the plan of the cross. And yet the plan of the cross is such an excellent plan because God is able to save to the uttermost all that come unto God through His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. He's able to save fully. He's able to save finally. He's able to save forever those who come all because of the excellent and eternal plan of the cross. The plan of the cross is also an exclusive plan. J.C. Ryle, the great bishop of Liverpool, said, Take away the cross of Christ from the Bible, and the Bible becomes a very dark book. I don't believe that that is a statement that we can take lightly, and yet it almost seems irreverent in a sense, but it's true. Take the cross of Christ out of the Bible. The Bible is still true, but the Bible becomes a very dark book. Were it not for the cross... Were it not for the substitute, the Savior who died upon that cross, the Word of God would be a very dark and hopeless book because it would declare that God is righteous. It would declare that God is holy. It would declare that God is almighty and God is all-knowing. It would declare that God demands payment for sin, that God must punish sin. And the Bible would be a very dark book tonight were it not for the cross. Were it not for a place called Calvary, there would be no hope for any of us at all. And I don't believe tonight that there is any other way whereby God could save a people other than through the cross. Now, some perhaps well-meaning Christians and even theologians have said God could have saved people any way that He chose, but He chose the cross. But I believe tonight that there was no other way whereby God could be true to his own nature and merciful and gracious to sinners outside of the cross. The Bible says that without the shedding of blood, there is no remission for sins. The life of the flesh is in the blood, and it is the blood that makes an atonement for the soul. And so there had to be one who was furnished and qualified to be our Savior, 
one who had the nature of God and one who had the nature of men, who would shed his blood to redeem a people unto God. C.H. Spurgeon said, the world's one and only remedy is the cross. Can I say tonight, if you miss the cross, you miss God's salvation. If you miss the cross tonight, you miss your very purpose for living. If you miss the cross tonight, you miss heaven. I want to tell you tonight that the plan of the cross is an exclusive plan. It's not one of many plans. It's not one of many ways of salvation. The message of the gospel is unique. The message of the gospel is explicit. The message of the gospel is exclusive. I was speaking to a friend recently who's not a Christian. And he said, well, you know, I respect you and I respect so much of what you say. And he says, I respect so much of what the Bible says. And he says, a lot of it makes a lot of sense to me. But the fact that it's only about Christ and it's only really for Christians, that's the sticking point. That's the exclusivity of the cross that many people find offensive. They could say, well, I would accept the Bible if God was willing to accept other ways as well. But the fact that the way of the cross is so straight and the way is so narrow, many people stumble upon that and the cross becomes an offense. The cross is an eternal plan. The cross is an excellent plan. The cross is an exclusive plan. But surely whenever Paul is speaking here about the cross, the cross is an executed plan. Whenever the Savior came into this world and went to a cross, before he did that, he says, my meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. Beloved, tonight there really was a man called Jesus Christ. And he really did live on this earth. And he really did go to a cross. And he did shed his precious blood. And he certainly died. Some have tried to deny it. But the history books tell us that there was a man called Jesus from Nazareth who went about doing good and was nailed by the Romans to a cross. Now the Bible message is very simple whenever it comes to the gospel. Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Christ died. That's history. Paul said Christ died for our sins. That's theology. Paul said Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. And there's our authority. Jesus Christ really died upon a cross. And the plan of the cross was fulfilled whenever the Savior shed his blood and cried out with victory, certainty, and triumph, it is finished. R.C. Sproul, who died a few years ago, said, The cross reveals the most violent and mysterious outpouring of the wrath of God that we find anywhere in Scripture. On the cruel cross, we see God's love displayed, but we also see God's anger displayed. The hymn writer said it well, Jehovah lifted up his rod. O Christ, it fell on thee. Thou wast sore stricken off thy God. There's not one stroke for me. Thy tears, thy blood beneath it flowed. Thy bruising healeth me. Jehovah bade his sword awake. O Christ, it woke against thee. Thy blood, the flaming blade must slake. Thy heart, its sheath must be. All for my sake, my peace to make, now sleeps 
that sword for me. And whenever Elijah offered a sacrifice on Mount Carmel, we have that remarkable verse that the fire of God fell and consumed the sacrifice. But whenever my Savior was on the cross, the fire of God's anger and the fire of God's justice fell. But the difference was that the sacrifice consumed the fire. And therefore I, the guilty one, can go free. My sin has been paid for in full. God's anger has been expiated. God's justice has been satisfied. And therefore the Son of God cried out with victory and triumph, the word finished. Or we could also paraphrase it, executed. The great redeeming work has done. The price has been paid in full. Paul, I believe, gloried in the plan of the cross. But you'll notice very clearly from this verse as well that Paul certainly gloried in the person of the cross. Paul doesn't merely say, God forbid that I should glory in the cross by whom the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world. No, Paul kneels it down and says, God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Somebody once said, the wonder of the cross is not the blood, but whose blood and to what purpose? The wonder of the cross is not the blood, but rather whose blood and to what purpose? Because whatever the Savior was crucified, there were two malefactors crucified with him. Paul did not glory in the other two crosses. Paul gloried in the central cross. Paul says in this verse that I glory in the cross. He didn't say I glory in a cross or any cross. In Paul's mind, while hundreds and maybe thousands of men had been crucified, there was really only one cross that really mattered. And it was the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. The Christ of the cross and the cross of Christ. The cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, the one who died upon that cross, was every inch a man. He was the man, Christ Jesus. He had feelings and emotions just like you and I have. He knew what it was to hunger. He knew what it was to thirst. He knew what it was to suffer pain. His body was a true and a real body. He had nerve endings just like you and I. And he felt it whenever they crowned him with thorns. He felt it whenever they scourged him with that whip. He felt it whenever they pulled the hair out of his cheeks. He felt it whenever they smote him with their fists. He felt it whenever they spat upon his face. He felt it whenever they drove the, ha the nails through his hands and feet. He was every inch a man and his humanity was certainly very real. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 8 says, And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. He experienced birth and boyhood. He experienced natural and physical growth. He experienced hunger and thirst. He experienced sorrow. He knew what it was to shed tears. He knew what it was to be weary, and yet all the while he was a sinless man, and the only perfect man that ever lived. This world of ours took him and nailed him to a cross. 
And on the cross, he suffered as a man. But on the cross, he also suffered as the God-man. He never laid aside or divested himself of his deity. The Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. Great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. And we quote the words so often that they bear repetition. Charles Wesley's great old hymn, Hark the Herald Angels Sing, he sums it up so well. Veiled in flesh the Godhead see. Hail the incarnate deity. Pleased as man with men to dwell. Jesus our Emmanuel, the one that was nailed to that cross, was the very Creator. The one that was nailed to that cross was God manifest in the flesh. Mr. Wesley also wrote the words of a hymn that we sang earlier. O love divine, what hast thou done? The immortal God has died for me. The Father's co-eternal Son bore all my sins upon the tree. Thou shalt call his name Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Isn't it a remarkable truth that that man that died upon that cross was the Mighty God? That one that died upon that cross was Emmanuel? That one who died upon the cross was the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end, the Almighty? Even Thomas, whenever he at last came to the upper room and saw the print of the nails in the Savior's hands, he fell down before him and said, My Lord and my God. Remarkable, isn't it? This is the message of the gospel. The person of the cross was man. The person on the cross was God. The person upon that cruel cross was the God-man Christ Jesus, the wonder of the Incarnation. The old Westminster divines asked that question in the shorter catechism, who is the Redeemer of God's elect? And they give this remarkable answer, the only Redeemer of God's elect is the Lord Jesus Christ, who being the eternal Son of God became man, and so was and continueth to be God and man in two distinct natures, and one person forever, the anthropic person, this man was nailed to a cross. And Paul rejoices in it. Paul glories in it. Paul says, God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. I believe he gloried in the plan of the cross. I believe more than that, he gloried in the person of the cross. But as you look at the second part of our verse tonight, you'll see that certainly Paul gloried in the power of the cross. God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. And here's the power of the cross, by whom the world is crucified unto me, and I unto the world. The cross had done something miraculous and something spiritual and something supernatural, and something everlasting and eternal in the heart of the Apostle Paul. The world and all its allurements, as far as Paul is concerned, they are gone forever. Says this world is crucified to me and I unto it. What did he mean by that? He meant this world is dead to me. And I'm dead to the world. And now that I have discovered the cross of Christ, 
and my sins have been nailed to the cross, and I have been set free and delivered. And what religion could never do for me, the Redeemer has done for me upon the cross. This present age, this present world, and I have got nothing in common. I don't want this world anymore, and the world does not want me either. We have died to each other. We're divorced forever. And it was as if the world had died. The world is crucified unto me, and I unto the world. Can I ask you tonight, is that your experience? Can you say tonight, it's no longer I that liveth, but Christ that lives in me, the cross before me, the world behind me, no turning back, no turning back. Paul could say in Galatians chapter 2 and verse number 20, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Whenever a professing Christian is so in love with the world, it's an oxymoron, it's a contradiction in terms. Because whenever a person is born again, and whenever a person realizes that the Savior died for them, and they die to self, and they die to sin, and they are raised up in newness of life to really live for God, the world dies to them, and they die to the world. And therein lies the power of the cross. The cross conquers self. The cross conquers Satan. And the cross conquers sin. Many years ago, some Moravian missionaries went to Greenland to try to convert the heathen. The natives were ignorant of many basic truths, especially concerning the Word of God. They were ignorant of the reality of sin, guilt, the righteousness of God, the law of God, and they were living like savages. And the Moravian missionaries began to try to educate them, try to teach them how to read a little bit better. And they spent a long time educating the natives. Last, some of them felt that the results had been very negative and very fruitless. And so they decided that they would pack up and leave and go somewhere else. And while the Moravian missionaries were waiting for a boat to come and collect them, one missionary thought that he would test his translation of the Gospels that they had been working on, of the Bible, in the language of the natives. And he began to read to them about the sufferings of Jesus Christ. And he read in their language the account of the cross and the death of Christ. And whenever he had finished reading, there was a stunned silence. And the chief of that Greenland tribe said to this missionary, he said, read it again. So he read it the second time. And then in his broken English, the man said, what you read, is it true? And then he said to him, why did you not tell us this first? You must not go. We will listen to the words of the man who suffered so for us. And so they stayed on for several years, preaching about the cross. And the Spirit of God began to move, and many, many were converted. You see, the cross conquered their hearts. The message of a dying Savior for their sins conquered their hearts. What education could not do, the message of the cross did it all. I wonder tonight, has the cross ever conquered your heart? 
Has the cross ever conquered your sin? Has the cross ever conquered your self-will? I believe tonight that there's power in the cross to remit sin. On the cruel cross, the Son of God was made sin for us. Who knew no sins that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. Remember listening years ago to the Reverend Tom Shaw preaching about the cross. And he spoke about a particular businessman who was a Christian and who owned a, a very successful restaurant. One night as somebody was up paying for their bill, they watched him open the till. And this Christian man was a man of tremendous integrity and had a wonderful testimony in the locality. And as he opened the till to give this person their change and they were looking over his shoulder, they noticed a large nine-inch nail in the till. And they were intrigued by it. And they said to him, I can't help but notice that you've got a huge nail in there beside all of the money. What's the purpose of that nail? And that man simply turned around and says, it's so I never forget the cost of my forgiveness. I never forget the cost of my forgiveness as I think about this nail because it was through the nails that the Savior was put on that cross and shed His blood. Charles Haddon Spurgeon, in one of his wonderful sermons, wrote these words. He said, Stand at the foot of the cross and count the purple drops by which you have been cleansed. See the thorn crown. Mark his scourged shoulders, still gushing within crimson rills. And if you do not fall prostrate on the ground before that cross, Mr. Spurgeon said, then you have never seen it. Is the power of cross real in your life tonight to remit your sins? Are your sins forgiven or your sins gone? There's not only power in the cross to remit sins, but there's mighty conquering power in the cross to redeem precious souls. John Murray was a wonderful theologian. And he has a little book, and I would recommend it to any young Christian that really wants to get an understanding of what the Savior did and what the Spirit of God does. The book's called Redemption Accomplished and Applied. And it's so important that we understand both aspects of God's redemption accomplished on the cross and applied by the Spirit. And John Murray speaks concerning the cross. He says, The glory of the cross of Christ is bound up with the effectiveness of its accomplishment. Let me make that statement again. He said, The glory of the cross is bound up with the effectiveness of its accomplishment. I believe tonight that everything God intended for His Son to do, and I believe tonight that everything God the Son set out to do was accomplished fully and forever upon that cross. I don't believe tonight that one drop of my Savior's blood was shed in vain. I don't believe tonight that there was anything that He set out to accomplish that wasn't done and secured upon that cross. The Scripture says that the Son of Man is come to seek and to save those that were lost. This is a faithful saying that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. At the Last Supper, He took that cup and said, This is my blood 
which is shed for many for the remission of sins. He didn't say, I came into this world to throw out a lifeline. He didn't say, I came into this world to give people a chance or an opportunity. The Bible makes it very clear that the Son of God came into the world to effect and secure the salvation of a great multitude that no man could number. And whenever he died and shed his blood upon that cross, he paid the price in full. I wonder tonight, does it melt your heart? Have you ever kneeled at the cross and called upon God and asked Christ to save you? Have you ever put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ? Are your sins forgiven tonight? Is your soul redeemed? And then also on the cross, we see the power of the cross to reconcile sinners. There's a lovely verse in Ephesians chapter 2. We're nearly finished. Verse number 16. It speaks there about God reconciling, or Christ reconciling both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby. Somebody once said, I asked the Lord Jesus Christ how much he loved me. And he stretched out his arms as wide as he could, and he died. And in doing that, it was like he was reconciling sinful man to a holy God, bringing them both together by the death of himself. The cross tonight is the bridge that spans the chasm of death. The cross of Christ tonight is the tree of life that grows up in the valley of the shadow of death. Are you reconciled to God tonight? Or are you still lost in this present world? Still wandering and still drifting? No hope and no purpose. No goals, no destiny that you're sure of. And you're lost and you're far from God. Robert Murray McShane wrote in his lovely old hymn, I once was a stranger to grace and to God. I knew not my danger and felt not my load. When friends spoke of rapture of Christ on the tree, Jehovah said, can you, or the Lord our righteousness was nothing to me. But then free grace awoke me by light from on high. Legal fear shook me. I tremble to die. No refuge, nor safety in self could I see. Jehovah said, can you? My Savior must be. Wonders there's somebody tonight and you know that you're lost and you're going to say tonight, I'm going to come to Jesus Christ because I believe in the power of the cross. The power of the cross to remit my sins. The power of the cross to redeem my soul. The power of the cross to reconcile me to God. And also the power of the cross to restore the years that the locusts have eaten. Can I tell you tonight that life without Jesus Christ is not life at all? You might have a pulse and a heartbeat. You might display the vital signs of physical life. But maybe you're still searching for real life. You'll find it at the cross. You'll find it in Christ who said in John 10, 10, I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. Paul said, it's no longer I that liveth, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And Paul wouldn't have traded his Savior or his salvation for a thousand worlds. Mr. Wesley said, Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing, my great Redeemer's praise. Way back there in the Old Testament uh, prophecy of Joel, God says, I will restore the years that the locusts have eaten. 
and maybe the locusts of sin have eaten up many years in your life, and you say, how can I be restored? How can I start out in newness of life? Simply come to the cross. Come to the cross. You know, I can't understand why or how the Son of God could love me. But there's something else I can't understand, and it's whenever people understand that God loves them, sent the Son to die upon that cross, that they don't fall prostrate before Him and call upon Him as their Savior. A.W. Tozer, and I finish with this wonderful quote, Mr. Tozer said, if we, he said, we must do something about the cross. We must do something about the cross. And one of two things only we can do, flee to it and die upon it or flee from it and die without Christ. What will you do tonight? Will you flee to the cross and come to Christ or go out rejecting Him? God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. May God write His Word tonight upon every heart. Thank you so much for listening. Your attention has been wonderful.